Good morning, church. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapters 2 and maybe into chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, just put your hand up. Guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. Let's pray, and we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Lord, as we uh, open your word, we pray that Jesus would be exalted during our time together. Lord, we haven't come here for entertainment. Uh, we haven't come here um, just to, to spend time, Lord, uh, wasted time. We've come here to know the truth. We're hungry, Lord, to see and to hear what tr- the truth is about ourselves. The truth is about church. The truth is about the world we live in. Life in the past, present, future, your love, your forgiveness, even judgment to come. Lord, we're, we're anxious to know so that we can know how to live in light of all these things. Lord, right now we pray for those that we know, whether it's in our families, children or parents or relatives, brothers, sisters, those that we work with. We pray for the people that don't know the truth, Lord, that have based their whole lives on, on sets and systems of lies that have been fed to them by the world or others. We see where these things lead. We see the emptiness of these things, Lord, and we long for them to know the truth. I pray, Lord, that the truth would look good on us as we live it out. The beauty of love and joy and forgiveness and peace with God. I pray that the world would see these things and truly know that there is something different that dwells within us that makes us who we are. So, Father, feed us by your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's precious people said, <clears throat> amen. Second Peter, uh, Peter again writing to do what? To stir us up. And I don't have my little visual with me this morning of my little glitter thing. But uh, those, there's so many other thoughts that get piled on to the thoughts of God when we leave here that uh, the, oftentimes the thoughts of God or the thoughts of righteousness uh, often get, get suppressed and pushed down and influenced by the things that the world feeds us. And so you come here today and, and hoping, and I think we've, it's been happening, has Peter been stirring us up or what? I mean, I have been stirred up. And what he wants us to do, and this is so important for us today, is that all of chapter 1, Peter was expressing his desire to tell you all, to tell me, look, you have been given the divine nature. You have the spirit of the living God dwelling in you. Take that ball, folks, and run with it. Make use of that. Advance, move forward, grow in your Christian, in your Christian life. Be diligent to do so. That takes energy. That takes effort. That takes determination to do. You have to decide that instead of Wednesday night watching Scrubs or whatever, I don't even know what's on Wednesday night, but instead, I'm going to go to Bible study. That's a decision, is it not? That's a decision to grow spiritually. It's a decision to get up at 7 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. and come to men's prayer on Saturday morning. It's a decision. And, and anything else that you do. And that's what Peter is encouraging you to do because Peter knows that there are some things that will try to inhibit you from doing just that and to drag you back. I don't know, how you, I don't know where you came from to, to be here today. I don't know where you came from as far as the kind of life you were living before you got saved, whether it be a pride and proud and self-righteous life, because we often want to run to the drug addicts and the alcoholics, don't we? 
That's where, oh, I was a drug addict or alcoholic. But some of you were just full of pride and self-centeredness and self-righteousness, and you thought you were all that and a bag of chips. (laughs) And so God had to rescue you from that. He had to show you that you're not as good as you think you are. And so you came from that broken and go, oh, Lord, I am a, you know, like Paul, wretched man that I am. I had this whole persona, this whole veneer that I'm a good person. But meanwhile, in the secret place, I had another life. I had thoughts that I was ashamed of or things that I, so uh, these things, so I don't know where you came from to be here, but whatever it is, there are things and people and messages that want to drag you back to where you came from. And I don't know about you, but I ain't going back. I was there and I didn't like it. That's why I wanted out. But there have, how many of you have experienced where when you get saved or when you make a decision to change your life, somehow the person you used to run with, that's sort of offending them. Because what you're saying, when you say, I've given that up, I'm doing what's right now, I'm walking with God. They get offended because that means that they're not. Right? You see, the message is this double message. You know, yes, I hear you saying you want to do what's right, but that implies that now, since you can't hang with me, because that implies I do what's wrong. And, and, and I've watched it in families. I've watched people just, just getting free, being set free from some of the, the family nonsense and some of the behaviors and attitudes and actions. And then in the minute you try to step out of that, what happens? The claws come out and try to drag you back down. Because that misery loves company. We'll let misery find company somewhere else, but not with me. So Peter knows that one of the... And, and we understand that the world will try to drag us back down. And back into uh, the things that we used to do. But may it never be the church that, that encourages people to go back into their sinful lifestyles. So Peter spends chapter 2 laying out the, not just, and this is, it's not just the existence of false teaching or false doctrine. Things that are just not true presented in the name of God in a very uh, well presented way. It's not just the fact that these things exist, these teachers exist, these attitudes exist, but it's the fact that they are so darn successful. That they actually have many people that follow. Let me give you just a little bit more background before we pick up in in verse 18 of chapter 2. Behind a lot of this, if you do your research, and and I want to suggest again a book called How Christianity Changed the World. Uh, Alvin Schmidt, I think, is the author's name. How Christianity Changed the World. Some of you, I think there's a book club reading that right now. They, um, they have a chapter on how Christianity changed um, the understanding of so, so many things, uh, the, the roles of women and how Christianity elevated that and art and music and science and all these things. And there is a cha- chapter on sexuality. Jesus Christ did more to elevate the place and the practice of, of sexuality in culture. And to know that, you have to understand how sexuality has been practiced throughout the centuries in pagan cultures. And all we see now, folks, what we see happening is as we walk away from God, as America walks away from God, we're walking into what was very common in pagan days. And we're not there yet. I mean, we're not fully there, but it's happening. The slippery slope is happening. And we're going back to pagan roots, to pagan uh, ideologies. And, and God has given us this beautiful understanding that in a marriage, 
two become one flesh. And part of the reality of, the, of that is the sexual union that takes place, sexual intimacy between, intimacy between a husband and a wife. And, and what paganism does and what we have done culturally is to completely devalue sexuality into just a mere act of the body. And that's the way it was in pagan Roman times, all the sexual practices. So the reason I'm telling you this is because this is what undergirds this understanding, what Peter saw in the Roman Empire and what the people that are coming out of that understanding into a, an orthodox or a, a truthful understanding of sexuality, they're being tempted to get pulled back into that. But we see that in our culture I mean, again, we tend, nowadays we tend to run toward homosexuality, but this has to do with sex outside of marriage. This has to do with what the Bible calls fornication. Any kind of sexual immorality is to be rejected in place of the truth of what God has for us because those other things, they, they, well, they twist us. And we'll talk about that as we go through. But that, I want you to understand that if you want to read more about that, check out the way that, I mean, paganism, there were... Um, prostitutes that were part of temple worship there was all everything was very public and and all these things were rampant and unrestrained so that the culture couldn't even blush anymore it was so accepted these these uh, sexual practices were so accepted and peter is is trying to address these things uh, as he talks about the false teachers their ways um, and, and where they're heading the fact that that judgment does eventually come and so he laid that out. Now he picks up uh, in a very challenging chapter, chapter 2, he picks up on at verse, or well, we pick up at verse 18, excuse me, verse 17, after that long introduction. He says about false teachers, he says, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. The Bible has been, Jesus has been very clear about the future for people who mislead others, especially younger, whether it's younger believers or younger people, mislead them into sin. Jesus says it'd be better if they had a millstone tied around their neck and tossed into the bottom of the ocean than to lead one of these little ones into sin. And so there's a lot, there's going to be a you know, I, I look at, we, we've all got internet and stuff like that. So we see, we talked about predators last week. There's be a whole lot of people with millstones at the bottom of the ocean uh, tied around their neck because so many take advantage of the weak and the unknowing. And that's who false teachers take advantage. They take advantage of the weak and the ignorant, the unstable. And so he calls them, and again, revealing for what they are, these are wells without water. Now we know what it's like to be thirsty, right? And a well without water is a promise without being able to produce. It is anticipation without provision. I mean, when, some, when, you, see that, when, when you see that water and, and you're so thirsty, and you just, oh, I can't wait to that, for that water, and I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, and you finally you press the button on the water fountain, and you're like, ah, and nothing comes out. I don't know, I like to compete in athletics. And then when you get done that race and you're ready for, they have stations, you know, along the way, if, if, whether it's a bike race or a running race, and there's stations to provide hydration along the way. And imagine if you were like, okay, I know there's a, a rest stop at, at mile 25, you know, and so you get there and, and all of a sudden there's nobody there. Like, man, I've been, I'm out of water, I'm thirsty, I need this. And let me tell you one of the great challenges 
the false teachers are wells without water, meaning they say, he doesn't say that they say a lot of stuff, but none of it has any ability to saturate us. Not, and he's speaking morally. You know, there's no, there's no moral. There, it's got nothing to it. It's empty. And people come to church, you know, they've heard, they've lived, and they've been addicted, and they've been in these places, and then they hear about this Jesus Christ who can transform their lives, who can save them. And so they make their way into a church somewhere, hoping that something may set them free, that there might be something to hold on to. And if all they hear are cute stories about my fishing trips and opinions that I have from psychology, then we've become wells without water. Unless we give people the word of God, we are not giving them the real water. We can wash them with the word of the water, or the water of the word, excuse me. And I, I, I know people, for them, you know, you've invited them. They're your friends, they're your relatives. And you said, just come, just come. And if I sat here and never opened a Bible, you know, you can go into all kinds of churches, you know, never open a Bible. It's like a well without water. Emptiness. Unless we give God's word. Because that is where Jesus is the physician, not me, not my opinions. And we can entertain people and be a well without water. Because it's not that they don't say anything. In reality, is they say a lot. Look what he says. They're like wells without water. Like clouds that, that they're, they're driven by a tempest, like a mist, really. Like, a, like a, a fog that's carried by a tempest. Just blows right on by, never actually delivers any rain. You know how disappointing that is in the summertime around here. We're like, oh, we need rain so bad, right? We just, my garden is drying up and everything's drying up. And then you see the thunderclouds in the distance. Oh, it's going to rain. And they just blow right on by and no, no rain. Like, oh, man, I needed that. For some people, this is a last stop before suicide. It's a last stop before where, where there's no hope found anywhere else in this world. And I've had that feeling. You know, it's like, where else are you going to go? Where, where can you find hope these days? And, what, and hope in what? If they can't find hope in the word of God here in church, then we have done a disservice both to God and man. Both to God and man. Because for some, this is the last stop on the train. If I can't find it here, it doesn't exist. I met a guy, I think I've told this story before, I met a guy in Nepal who grew up Hindu and he started to question his life, his, his Hindu beliefs. And he did his examinations and he did his research and he said, I realize that if Jesus isn't God, then God does not exist. And he, he's a believer. He believes in Jesus. Wells without water. Blackness of darkness uh, reserved forever. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. Now, if you like to circle in your Bible, circle that word lewdness. We're going to come back to that. They lure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So the, the marks of the false teacher, the description is not that they're, they're lousy speakers and, and they don't say anything. It's not that they're empty in, in that sense. The emptiness is that they speak a lot. They say a lot of things. There's a lot of what I call rhetoric. You ever heard something like that? People that uh, have a lot to say, but they actually don't say anything? We might, we call it politics, but uh, just kidding, or not. There's a lot of great swelling promises, a lot of great big words about all that, that's going to happen, all this, but really, 
it, 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 the words are empty. There's, there's no content. And they, so they speak great, they promise great things and talk a great line and they're all talk. But when you look at their walk, you see a different story. Not only that, they're very careful fishermen, aren't they? They allure, which means to bait. They know how to bait you. And how do they bait you? They know your weakness is your desire to fulfill the pleasure, your pleasures. So they provide an option whereby you can follow God and fulfill all of your sexual uh, and personal pleasures. And that somehow these things are, are okay together. They allure and they, they find the bait. How? Through the lusts of the flesh. Now, I have two, well, I have three dogs, but I'm going to highlight two. You know, I love to use my dogs and cats. Uh, in, in they, they don't get treated fairly in my illustrations, but they're my illustrations. You can have, cats can be the champions of your illustrations. But I have two dogs. Now, one of them, her name is Maggie. And Maggie is just, she's one of those dogs that's just, you can look into her eyes, she's really smart. She's just a smart dog. Um, and, and they, and she likes to run though. She likes to run. She's got part beagle or something in her. So she'll go out. We live on 22 acres and she'll just go out. And if, if we let her out, then she'll disappear like at night. And then we'll hear at three in the morning, you know, like, oh no. Then I got to get up and try to get her in. So sometimes we try to make sure she stays in, especially at night. Now, Sandy Joe is our other dog. She's a Chihuahuan, Chihuahua Dachshund. Oh, yeah, you know, I could stop and move on after that. You know already where this is going. She has a very strong, what dog training people call, food drive. Some of you understand that because you have it too. Very strong food drive. Maggie, she can't be that easily bought. So if we open the door by accident to go out and the dogs take off outside, Maggie will, she'll, she'll run about 15 yards and I'll say, come on back, come on back. And she'll look at me and she'll go, uh-uh, ain't coming back. And boom, <laughs> off she goes. Now, Sandy Joe, and, and I can, see, here's what I do. I say, oh, no, they've got out and I've, we've got food. Food speaks dog language. So I say, I hold the food up. Come on, come on back in. And Maggie's like, no, I like my freedom. I'm gone. But Sandy Joe's like, ooh, dilemma. I am now faced with a doggy dilemma because I want that food, but I also like freedom. And for her, in the end, I get her back, I draw her back in with the food. She gets the treat. I close the door. I've got her. She's, she's now entrapped again in our little mudroom area. And that's how false teachers work. They know what you want they know that drive that you have drive for sexual immorality drive for impurity that fleshy nature in you and and we can this can and you know we we try real hard not to try to attract people what what you attract people with is what you have to keep them with and so for the church to attract people and to appeal to the base desires of people's flesh is the wrong motive we get people in with the just because we want to see, this is how the false teacher works. We want to see seats full at any cost. And so we'll appeal to people's flesh with espresso. No, not with espresso. <laughs> we appeal to people's flesh or base desires to draw them, but it's emptiness. And then to get people in that way, you've got to keep them in that way. 
And, and I hope that the biggest thing we got going around here is the systematic and steady verse-by-verse te- verse teaching of the Word of God and the love of the saints. I hope that's what is attractive. Truth should be really attractive because it's so hard to find today. It's precious. They allure through the lust of the flesh. And then he uses this word through lewdness. Now, that is an interesting word. I had to do a little time to, to investigate because we don't know lewdness. Who uses that word anymore? Thayer's notes on this word, this Thayer is a uh, Greek dictionary um, that has definitions of these words. Thayer's note on this word, uh, as it is used in this passage, is as follows. Plural wanton acts or manners as filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. The great Bible commentator William Barclay considers aselgia, that's the Greek word aselgia, to be possibly the ugliest word in the list of New Testament sins. He capsulizes the word's meaning as utter shamelessness. It is variously translated as licentiousness, wantonness, and lasciviousness. Second Peter uses this word more than any other New Testament document. It links it explicitly with the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, picturing Lot as greatly distressed by the aselgia or the licentiousness of the wicked around him probably not referring to their failure to show hospitality. Aselgia, or lewdness, or lasciviousness, is unrestrained, publicly enjoyed, blatant, and unblushing, unblushing sexual immorality. Whether that be homosexuality, adultery, uh, other types of fornication. And so it is the promoting from the church. Again, we expect this from the world. The world tries to allure people through this stuff, don't they? I mean, you look at, you look at uh, what's on in the media and, and what is laid before us. So, who are they, and so they're, they're alluring, but who are they catching? See, they got the bait out. They know the bait, right? They're expert fishermen. They know the bait. But who is biting is the question. Those who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So, and another translation says those who have just barely escaped. The new believers, the ones who are weakest. And I see it, I see it, I see it. Let me tell you, as your pastor, I see it all the time. People get saved and they start to walk their Christian life, but they're weak. And then that's when the temptations come to get back in that lifestyle that you just left. And we watch people get dragged back. You can expect it. If you're going to give your life to Christ, you expect a battle. Because hell is not happy to give you up. And you have been serving Satan with your life, possibly. And now you decide to make a decision to switch teams. Well, the team you came from isn't going to let you go that easily. And he will use false teaching and the world and these kind of things and your flesh to attract you. And, and, and he's noticed this other thing. The word escaped. That's, what, that's how Peter, this, three times he uses this word. Look back in chapter 1, verse 4 that through these, these promises you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So this is, the world is something not to be enjoyed or embraced, but escaped. Now this is, Jesus tells us we're in the world. And we know that. We're not supposed to escape living in the world. But we're supposed to escape living like the world. And if there ceases to be something different between the church and the world, then something has gone gravely wrong. 
Somehow we have compromised. Somehow, and, and now the point of this is, if we are no different from the world, then what do we have to offer? What do they see when they look at us? Look, the divorce rate is greater among nominal Christians, meaning people who claim to be Christians but don't really live it. The divorce rate is greater among that group than the world. So the world looks at us and says, what do you got? We ain't got. Islam looks at the church. Says, we, you know, our family stay together. Uh, uh, and look at, look at, we're, we're, we live in, I mean, look at the way our women dress. We pray five times a day. You guys maybe pray on Sunday. So they look at, at, at us and they think, they, they, why would they convert to Christianity? They're doing way, in their minds, they're doing way better than us because they live more morally pure lives and pray more. So I'm just telling you, I'm not making a judge, just telling you how it is. So they attract those that have escaped, and that's what the, the Peter's saying, from escape from those who live in error. And there are those who live in error. Don't be jealous of them. Don't be envious of what they are having and what they are enjoying because it doesn't lead to anywhere good. Verse 19, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. So again, we see this great promise of liberty, and we see that promise today, don't we? There's a pro- oh man, you're free. In, in Christ, it's just grace, man. You can be free to live however you want, free to use your body for whatever you want. You know, God, God's a forgiving God. He's a gracious God, and, and that is true. God is a forgiving God, and God is a gracious God. But if you take and you use God's grace as an excuse for your sin, then you don't understand the grace of God. I heard it explained one time this way. I've got a, a son and a daughter, and uh, let's say I have this vehicle that I love, just this nice car, you know, which I don't have, but let's say I did, right? Most of you have seen my truck. If someone went down and keyed the side, you wouldn't notice. But let's say my son decides to take a key and just right down the side of my car. Would I forgive him? Yeah, I'd forgive him. I'd say, son, what are, you, what are you doing, son? Do you have a death wish, you know? It's my car. What are you doing? But let's say I forgave him and, and forgot it, and he went on and did it again. And again. And every time I forgave him, he'd go out and do it again. At some point, I'd say, son, do you not love me? Like, what are you doing that is making you, why do you have a desire to hurt me this way? Or to destroy something that belongs to me this way? You see, the Bible says that you were bought with a price. And your life is not your own. Why would you seek to destroy through sexual immorality or other types of, uh, of immorality the very the, the beauty of the body and, and that, that God has given you? The sanctity of, of yourself, of your life. But they promise liberty. And I can tell you from, from firsthand experience, someday, you know, I, I don't, I've shared parts of my testimony um, with you guys on in the past but i've seen that the the entanglement that sexual immorality brings in a life whether it's pornography or, or any other thing uh, or or just you know uh, multiple sexual partners no no commitment no marriage um you go on any college campus you can see that pretty much these days 
And those things do not provide liberty. I don't care what the TV shows say, how they glorify these things. They do not provide liberty. It is a trap, and it entangles you, uh, and it is to be escaped. The promises of liberty, but if you ask, but if you look at the life behind the one who's teaching, it's like one prisoner being in prison and telling another prisoner, I know how to escape. Then the question is, well, why are you still in prison? If you know how to get out, why haven't you? And so ask questions. Be observant. If a person is promising you freedom, look at their life. Are they free? And if they, if they aren't, then don't believe them. Because the one that, that, um, that overcomes you is the one you become enslaved to or by. You know, the freedom... I remember talking to a guy uh, not too long ago just about freedom and, and some of his desires. He doesn't become a Christian because he enjoys a few things in his life too much to become a Christian. And, uh, and he, he was telling me about his freedom to do those things. And, and I was like, you know, when I got saved, it was about a freedom to not do those things. That's re- you want to know what freedom is? Freedom is not letting your body control what you do on a day-to-day basis. Freedom from any, you know, that, that's, the, real, that's the, the ultimate freedom is I don't want nicotine to tell me what to do. I don't want nicotine to run my life. I don't want alcohol to run my life. I don't want sexual desire to run my life, whether it's in or out of a marriage. You know, sexual desire can run your life even in, inside of a marriage. You can just transfer sexual immorality into your, into your spouse. And there's just a great freedom that comes from the Lord. Fruit of the Spirit being self-controlled. Where, you know, there's a freedom to engage and a freedom not to. While they, them, while they promise liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped or become disentangled, and the word escape um, it speaks of that being unbraided, if after they have become unbraided from the pollutions of the world, how? through the knowledge of the, sa- of, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. All right, let's, let's untangle this. He says, for if, after they have escaped, so they have, they've become separated from, and he calls them the pollutions. I like that word too, the pollutions of the world. I had to write this down because I couldn't memorize it. Pollution. Uh, the word was anciently used and is in current use to express those noxious particles of effluvia. Isn't that great? Noxious particles of effluvia proceeding from persons infected with contagious and dangerous diseases or from dead and corrupt bodies, stagnant and putrid waters, marshes, etc., by which the sound and healthy may be infected and destroyed. Now, we are in, in this time where everybody's freaking out about Ebola. Right now, if I said to you, there's someone coming here today, they're going to join us, and they have Ebola. How long do you think you guys would hang out here? You would escape as fast as you could, right? Because you don't want to be polluted. You don't want to be infected by them. Because you can catch what they get. They don't get your health. You get their sickness. Interestingly, too, one, one of the things that, that God's Word is so powerful, God is the the the... the ordainer of two very important things number one um isolation that in the old testament when someone was sick or had an infection they got isolated the second thing is hand washing 
diligent washing. You know, uh, Helga's home today sick. So when I go home, I'm going to make sure I wash my hands. I came here, wash my hands. Now all you guys are like, okay, not shaking your hand after church, Pastor Steve. <laughs> but the point is, look, the cure, look, we're stuck in this world. We're here until the Lord takes us to be with him. Whether through death or the rapture or however that happens, we are here in this world. And the cure or the challenge for us is you got to keep washing to stay unpolluted. You know, that's what James said. This is pure, pure undefiled religion is this, right? Visiting, un, uh, visiting widows and orphans in their trouble and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. I've read this. I try to read this maybe once a year because it's so powerful. Let me read this to you. A few months before I was born, my dad met a stranger who was new to our small Tennessee town. From the beginning, dad was fascinated with this enchanting newcomer and soon invited him to live with our family. The stranger was quickly accepted and was around to welcome me into the world a few months later. As it grew up, I never questioned his place in our family. In my young mind, each member had a special niche. My brother Bill, five years my senior, was my example. Fran, my younger sister, gave me an opportunity to play big brother and develop the art of teasing. My parents were complimentary instructors. Mom taught me to love the word of God and dad taught me to obey it. But the stranger was our storyteller. He could weave the most fascinating tales. Adventures, mysteries, and comedies were daily conversations. He could hold our whole family spellbound for hours each evening. If I wanted to know about politics, history, or science, he knew it all. He knew about the past, understood the present, and seemingly could predict the future. The pictures he could draw were so lifelike that I would often laugh or cry as I watched. He was like a friend to the whole family. He took Dad, Bill, and me to our first Major League Baseball game. He was always encouraging us to see the movies, and he even made arrangements to introduce us to several movie stars. My brother and I were deeply impressed by John Wayne in particular. Some of the kids are going, who's that? Which team does he play for? (laughs) The stranger was an incessant talker. Dad didn't seem to mind, but sometimes mom would quietly get up while the rest of us were enthralled with one of his stories of faraway places, go to a room, read her Bible, and pray. I wonder now if she ever prayed that the stranger would leave. You see, my dad ruled our household with certain moral convictions, but the stranger never felt obligation to honor them. Profanity, for example, was not allowed in our house, not from us, from our friends or adults. Our longtime visitor, however, used occasional four-letter words that burned my ears and made Dad squirm. To my knowledge, the stranger was never confronted. My dad was a teetotaler who didn't permit alcohol in his home, not even for cooking. But the stranger felt like we needed exposure and enlightened us to other ways of life. He offered us beer and other alcoholic beverages. He made cigars look tasty. A cigar, uh, he made cigarettes look tasty, cigars manly, and pipes distinguished. He talked freely probably too, too much freely, about sex. His comments were sometimes blatant, sometimes suggestive, and generally embarrassing. I know now that my early concepts of the man-woman relationship were influenced by the stranger. As I look back, I believe it was the grace of God that the stranger did not influence us more. Time after time, he opposed the values of my parents, yet he was seldom rebuked and never asked to leave. More than 30 years have passed since the stranger moved in with the young family on Morningside Drive. He is not nearly so intriguing to my dad as he was in those early years. But if I were to walk in my parents' den today, you would still see him sitting over in a corner waiting for someone to listen to him talk and watch him draw his pictures. His name, we always just called him TV. 
best thing we ever did was pull that plug. And, and for these very reasons, it's so easy to get entangled. If they, after having escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. That's the danger, being entangled and then rebraided in and overcome. The latter end is worse than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. The more light you reject, the worse it is. The harder you have to be. The more condemnation there is when you reject that amount of light. And And the harder you fall when you reject that amount of light. That's what Peter is saying. It would have been better to be ignorant than rebellious. And now he, we'll, we'll end with this. We'll end quite early today. And then, and, um, but that doesn't mean I'm done. Okay, so don't check out yet. We still got an important verse to talk about here, but we won't get into chapter 3. But I will tell you this. Not only were the, the presence of the false teachers encouraging them toward worshiping God in and with sexual immorality and other types of immorality, the root of a lot of this was a rejection of the idea of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That he ain't coming back. So that'll be our topic for next week. The second coming of Jesus Christ. And how that affects our lives right now today. If we believe that to be true. But he says verse 22. It has happened to them. According to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit. And a sow having washed. To her wallowing in the mire. Uh, Peter is, is painting great pictures right. He is really giving us some hard and challenging illustrations, which I happen to think are very picturesque. The question we all ask, and, and you've had heard the argument before, is uh, once saved, always saved. Right? Once saved, always saved. So the question would be about these people, because he says they have known, says, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the commandment delivered to them. It says he's writing to people who have been partakers of the divine nature. So the question would come, depending on your theology, because these people are now rejecting what they had escaped and and what they had come out of. They had been worshiping Jesus Christ on some level, even if they were new believers, but now are going back to the previous life. So the question is, were they saved and then walked away? Because we always use the terminology... uh, uh, can you lose your salvation? Salvation is not like your keys. It's not like a set of keys. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. The question would be better put, can I walk away from it? Because I can't lose, if I didn't purchase my salvation, if I didn't obtain it for myself, I can't lose it myself. I didn't secure it. I can't unsecure it. It's secure in Jesus Christ. And you, can, you have to know that this morning. As long as you are abiding in the vine, you will be fine. It's a great way to remember it. Abide in the vine, you'll be fine. As long as you are hanging tight. That's what Peter is trying to tell us. As long as you are clinging to Jesus Christ, then you are absolutely safe. If you choose to turn back to some old lifestyle, I don't know how to categorize that. There's a lot of people that once they sat here, they were with you, they were among you. They had come from all these different backgrounds, all these different places, of walking away from God. And then they're here for a couple weeks or a month, excited. And then they disappear. And we go, where'd so-and-so go? Ah, I heard they're 
you know, back doing this or back doing that, just they fell away or whatever it is. The question is, were they saved and walked away or were they never saved in the first place? And I don't know the answer to that, nor do I really care. The point is, is they're not in a safe place now. And I don't know how they got there, whether they were saved or not, I don't know. The point is, they're walking a lost life. And he says, they're like a dog that returns to his own vomit. Proverbs chapter 26, a dog that returns to his own vomit. Now, how many of you have dogs? All right, so you get this. Right now, again, I go back to Maggie. Every so often, I'm going to try to be careful with this, okay? I don't want to, it's lunchtime, so it's getting to be lunchtime. But do you, have you had the race for the door? Anybody else have that? Like you start to hear the dry heaving, and you're like, oh, it's like slow motion. No, and you run for the door, because you know you're going to have to clean that mess up. I don't want to clean that mess up. I am running for the door. We're racing for the door because you hear the dry heaving. You know what's coming next. So you got to get to the door. Get them outside before it's on the carpet. Oh, that is so bad to clean. But see, now a dog, I could leave it there because eventually the dog will come and, oh, <laughs> and you see what's in that stuff. It's like, oh, see, the point Peter is making is that dog's body rejected that mess, why would you go and put it back in? Why would you go back and put something back in that you rejected in the first place? It doesn't make any sense. But that's what people do. They know they got to get out of that life. They know they got to walk away from that thing, so they reject it in favor of Jesus Christ. But then somehow, they're they're just drawn back. I I think... um, J. Vernon McGee says about the dog and the pig is that, um, that a dog returns to his own vomit because that's his nature. But God gives us a new nature. And you might, you know, if, if you, uh, this is sort of where I am with this. I, again, whether it's how you want to picture this for yourself, I don't know. But when my old nature was attracted to some things. And it was natural for me to do those things because it was my old nature. It was my base fleshy nature. When I got saved, I got a new nature. And with that new nature, I was attracted to new things. Now, and so what, what I used to do is no longer natural because I have a new nature. That's what nature, natural means by nature. So my old nature naturally did those sinful, nasty things. But my new nature naturally pursues God. But can I in my new nature attempt to dabble in some of the old things? I can, but it's not natural. And you'll know it, and you feel it, don't you? When you watch that movie or when you go to that thing, you go, I shouldn't be here. Somehow, three months ago, I felt normal here. But now I don't feel right here. I went to a party a while back. My my wife and I went. It was a friend of ours was having a party. We're the only Christians there. A lot of cursing and stuff was going on there. I was like, ooh, I feel really uncomfortable. You know, I, I know that's how people talk, but it just makes me uncomfortable when there's a lot of it going on. I just knew we shouldn't be here. Just don't feel right. But so the new nature desires new things. The dog, because he's a dog, is going to do what dogs do. They're going to go back to that. And the pig, you can wash and scrub that pig, right? Maybe you showed it at the state fair or something. I don't know. We used to go to the state fair all the time. You get those pigs, they're all clean and spanking shiny and ready to be sh- shown in front of the judge. But then as soon as you turn them loose, what are they going to do? Right back into the mud hole. Like being a Christian isn't about being washed on the outside. Your baptism, 
doesn't wash you. It, it, it gets your flesh wet. But it just symbolizes something God is doing on the inside. The, the pig, because he's a pig, goes back to doing what pigs do. Now, I'm not saying that any, about any of you guys in here, but I hope you remember that picture when you start to get tempted. No, pigs do this stuff. And I'm not a pig. I'm a child of the living God. And children of God don't do this stuff. In Acts chapter 15, when they were deciding, what, what, what do we tell the Gentiles to do? You know, when the Gentiles are getting saved, they have to get, go through all the, they have to become Jews. And, and Peter said, or uh, excuse me, I forget, I think it was um, the disciples as a whole that made this decision. Just tell them to uh, avoid certain things, including sexual immorality. Just, just avoid those things. Because those are things that are uniquely tied in to pagan lifestyles. So know that. And, and I pray, after, after the service today, we're going to end there. Uh, after the service today, the prayer room is going to be open. I'll be down here. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up, if you would. And I, I do want to tell you that there is... Um, There is grace, you know, but there's also this thing called repentance, which is not a dirty word. It's a great word. For me, the word repentance was a beautiful word. That changed my life. That changed my life. When God showed me what everything else, the world would have have looked at my life and said, man, that's Steve. He is a great guy. I had a good job and I was incredibly handsome, all these things. Why are you laughing? (laughs) But I had a sinful side. And the Lord pointed that out to me. He pointed out that, Steve, the world may be impressed with you, but you are empty. You are empty. And you need to come back to me. And I said, God, you are right. I am, and all the things I was doing were just attempts to, to pacify or satisfy some longing in, in my soul that, that the Lord was kind enough and gentle enough and good enough to say, Steve, you know that what you're doing is empty. And I said, yes, I know, Lord, it is. I, I don't even know why I'm doing it now. I don't even know what I'm getting out of this. But it can't continue. And I knew he was right. And that was 19 years ago for me. And I know that, uh, and that, that was repentance. That was the day I opened up my heart and invited the Lord in. Did I, did I walk a successfully perfect life from there on? No way. But I could no longer enjoy the things I used to freely enjoy that were sinful. But God gave me a whole bunch of new stuff to enjoy that was good and led to health and life and, and mental, uh, mental health and mental goodness in my life. Changed the way I think. God wants to transform you, not by the renewing of your, your entertainment level, but by the renewing of your mind. And it will, God will transform your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the prayer room is open. Maybe somebody in here is living in that place right now of sexual immorality or some other type of immorality. 
and I want to, I'm not going to, not seeking to publicly embarrass you or publicly make you, you know, come up here in front of everybody. That's not what we're about. The Lord knows. The Word of God is, is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide even between joint and, and or, or even between soul and spirit, between joint and even down to the, to the marrow, the deep, deep places. And all things are laid open and bare and naked before the eyes of the Lord. There's nothing that you're involved with. There's nothing that you're into that he doesn't already know. And yet still, he is inviting you to come and be healed. To come and be saved. To come and be loved like you've longed to be loved. Not with the, just a ooshy-gooshy kind of love that's false and fake and temporary not simply with a, a sexual kind of false love or lust. But God loves you deeply. He knows you deeply and he loves you deeply. And he doesn't want to see you live another day without him because he knows you need him. And so uh, if you're in that place, then, you know, just come on up afterwards. What the, who was I was talking to at the men's retreat? Uh, John, where's John? John Mayhew. No, John Mayhew. Yeah, just John and I were talking about this. Sometimes the first place of release, the first place of, of healing and freedom is when you can say, I need it. And sometimes we're so ashamed of, of, of saying, letting anybody know that there might, something in, there might be something in my life that's not right. And that just keeps you. Sin loves to stay hidden. It thrives on darkness. But you bring that thing out into the light and then you can begin to heal. And we're not here to condemn you. Look, we're in the same boat, are we not, people? We are. So don't let Satan tell us the lie, tell you the lie that you're the only one. You are not the only one. The rest of us just keep it hidden. Just like you. And many of us here have forsaken it and been healed and been set free. So as we sing a closing song, uh, don't come up then wait till after people filter out then come and, and you can come for any reason if you need physical healing just want to pray for something in your life you got a relative you got a rebellious or prodigal child you name it we just want to pray with you and 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 talk with you and and see god work in our midst amen amen let's stand and worship the lord